Hello, and welcome to the Bridge to Change podcast hosted by Jeff Nash, focused on education and the financial advisor recruiting industry. My name is Catherine Paulson, CMO of Bridgemark Strategies. And right now I would love to introduce Jeff Nash, our host. Thank you, Catherine. And as our guest today, we have Scott Mattisar, partner in Mattisar Jacobs Law Firm. Uh, Scott's been a longtime friend of mine, and uh, I've known him 15 plus years and have used him countless occasions uh, in working with financial advisors. Uh, and Scott has really become an expert in the industry on helping advisors understand the, the role of protocol and the impact of being with either a protocol firm or non-protocol firm. Uh, and so I really was hoping that Scott maybe spend a little bit of time speaking to that. Uh, Scott, before we jump into some questions, maybe give us a little bit of a background for yourself, if you would. Well, sure. Happy to do that, Jeff. Um, as you said, I'm a partner at um, a law firm Mattisar Jacobs that I started uh, a few years ago after leaving a very large corporate law firm here in Cleveland. And my practice is 100% focused exclusively on uh, representing clients in the retail financial services industry, uh, individual advisors, RIAs, broker dealers, and other industry participants in uh, litigation, regulatory counseling, uh, and business matters, including practice successions. And, and a large part of my practice, or at least one, one part of my practice, is representing advisors and counseling them when they are transitioning between firms. And I handle about 300 advisor transition projects a year. That doesn't mean 300 advisors, it means 300 separate engagements. So I probably wind up moving uh, perhaps 400, 450 advisors every, every year. Wow, that's certainly going to give you a lot of experience and a lot of uh, kind of day-to-day -day knowledge of what advisors are facing from coming from a myriad of different firms. Uh, you know, maybe starting off talking about advisors leaving protocol firms, uh, going to a protocol firm. Uh, are there a couple of best practices that you see? You know, clearly the one best practice would be to seek legal counsel. I'm sure of that. And, and I'll let you kind of focus on that as well. But what are you seeing from advisors in, in the protocol to protocol space? Sure. Well, I think it's helpful to, in talking about this, to, to give a little bit of context first. Yeah, as I said, I do about 300 separate engagements a year. And to just give your listeners some sense, I have a litigation rate of about one and a half percent per year. So wow. if I'm if I'm doing... 300 moves a year, I might get four, maybe five projects where an advisor gets sued by their by their firm when they leave. Um, that doesn't mean that the firm's going to win, by the way. It just means that they get sued in an effort to slow them down. Um, so litigation is actually very rare. And I know advisors are always worried about being sued when they when they depart. But it is actually statistically a very low risk proposition to change firms if you do it properly. Um, to, to answer your question in terms of the protocol, um, it's amazing to me how many advisors I talk to uh, don't know what the protocol is or whether or not they are even at a protocol firm. And so the, the first thing that an advisor ought to do if they're contemplating leaving their firm is find out whether or not their firm is a, pro is a signatory to the protocol for broker recruiting. And, um, and from there, as you say, you need to speak to an attorney who knows this space, who can give you uh, clear guidance on what on what the protocol is, how it works, uh, and what you, what 
one needs to do in order to uh, obtain the protections that are afforded under the protocol. Yeah, and it changes, right? I mean, we've seen firms specifically like Morgan Stanley, who had been in the protocol, was originally one of the founding partners, I believe, if they were what they call founding members of protocol, who are no longer a part of the protocol. So it, it can certainly change with firms coming and going around the protocol as well. That's absolutely right. And UBS is another example of a firm that was protocol that has, has since left. Um, and and uh, it changes over time. I mean, there are now, when it started, the protocol was, was just a half a dozen big wirehouses. Um, and there are now, as of this week, uh, over 2,200 signatories to the protocol. Um, so it, it is not quite uh, industry standard yet, but it is increasingly heading that way where more firms are, are likely protocol than not. Um, and what are, sorry, and what are some of the, 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 you said protections, right? So what are some of the protections that you are seeing that the protocol affords an advisor when they're switching firms? Sure. Well, so the protocol, Jeff, is, as I like to say, it's essentially a treaty among firms that, that says if an advisor is moving from one protocol signatory broker-dealer or RIA to another protocol signatory, even if that advisor has a non-solicit in their contract with, the, with their current firm, and even if they have a provision in their contract that bars them from taking client information with them, they are excused entirely from the non-solicit and excused partially from the confidential information provision, as long as they follow the procedures that are set forth in the protocol for broker recruiting. It's essentially, um, you know, just like uh, national laws overrule state laws, right? The, the protocol takes precedence over what is in any, any individual advisor's contract. And the protocol essentially is meant to facilitate the free transfer of financial advisors among firms um, without litigation. Uh, the rationale being that you know, on, on any given Friday, you know, one of the big wirehouses might lose 50 advisors who quit, and they might get 50 advisors who join them from somewhere else. And then it all comes out in the wash. And so there's no point in firms suing each other uh, under those circumstances. And yet, my understanding, because we consult with advisors, you know, early into their process before they actually will speak to you and uh, helping them understand. And one of the things that we'll talk to them about uh, in a more granular level detail, in more granular detail, but where they absolutely need to speak with you or, or their attorney of choice is where the protocol may not work, right? My understanding, if they have a independent agreement with another advisor, it can change some of the dynamics of protocol. Well, so there are exempt, there are exceptions to protocol. Um, it's not quite as simple as, okay, I'm at a protocol firm. And so therefore, as long as I follow the procedure, I'm covered. Um, some firms, first of all, some firms have uh, put in protocol carve out letters that uh, exempt certain categories of employees from protocol. For example, if you are an Ameriprise financial advisor, but you work in one of their call centers, you're not covered by protocol. They've, Ameriprise has sent in a carve-out letter um, excluding the, that category of employee from the coverage. Uh, similarly, um, 
There are uh, some firms that have carved out certain books of business that an advisor might have from protocol. So for, again, another example, um, with Edward Jones, if uh, an advisor has acquired a practice through a good night agreement, um, Edward Jones has put in a carve out letter that says uh, those clients that you acquired through a good night uh, are not covered by protocol and the advisor is not free to solicit that portion of their book of business. So there is some additional analysis that needs to be made as to whether or not the protocol covers uh, the advisor's entire book of business or just a piece of it. So interesting and yet so complex and so important. Uh, I know advisors are always incredibly focused on uh, what is the process upon switching firms? What, are the, uh, what information are they allowed to take? What information are they not allowed to take? You know, and I think this really starts to give them some insights around protocol. Uh, in switching gears, maybe spending a couple of minutes talking about non-protocol, uh, and if the firm, if the, if you, how does a non-protocol transition work, and does it make a difference if your firm is in the protocol that you're leaving from, but going to a non-protocol firm, or is it only going from non-protocol to non-protocol? So, kind of two questions in there for you, Scott. Okay. Well, so first of all, my advice always to advisors, if they are leaving a protocol firm and going to a non-protocol firm, they that move is not protected by the protocol and uh, they're not entitled to take with them the, the five pieces of uh, client information that are allowed under the protocol, which are name, address, phone number, email, uh, and, and account title. Uh, so they're not, if they have a non-solicit in their contract, they uh, will be bound by that, that non-solicit. So my advice to advisors in that situation is to try to encourage the firm that they are joining to um, join the protocol in advance of their arrival. Uh, even, even if they only stay in the, even if the new firm only stays in the protocol for a couple of months, at least you know, as long as they are a member of protocol on the effective date of the advisor's resignation, then they're protected. Now that may, won't work if you're at a much larger firm, but if you're going from, let's say, a wirehouse to a small uh, RIA, it is feasible that maybe the RIA will join protocol for a brief period to give you that window to exit cleanly. Um, as to your next question about what, a, you know, what, what, how does a non-protocol firm uh, move work? And the answer is much more carefully. Um, in those situations, uh, I really have to scrutinize the advisor's contract and look at the fine print of their non-solicit and the confidential information provisions in their contracts. Uh, I can almost always find a loophole that can be exploited um, by the advisor in transitioning. Uh, one of the one of the misconceptions advisors have is that is that their non-solicits and their and the confidential information provisions are impossible to defeat, and that's just simply not true. Uh, a skilled lawyer can always find at least some wiggle room in that straitjacket to give the advisor at least some freedom of movement to do some things in order to get the word out to their clients and hopefully uh, bring their book with them. It just, it just takes a lot more creativity and advanced planning. 
Well, and I, I might be dating myself and maybe even adding you to my category, but I remember the days before protocol and those agreements were in place and advisors still switched firms back then as well. And there are still plenty of advisors leaving non-protocol firms very, very successfully uh, and going to non-protocol firms. So it, it clearly isn't in, in, you know, kind of in hindering their ability to move. It just changes the things that they're able to do during that move. And again, I think that's where the, the council can can really help. That, that's absolutely right, Jeff. I'd say more than half of my transitions every year are non-protocol. And those clients all move cleanly. None of them get sued. It just takes, as I say, a little more uh, planning and a little more care in mapping out the, the transition strategy in the 30, 60, 90 days before the planned resignation date. But people move and they move successfully non-protocol all the time. Scott, thanks for all your thoughts. And uh, for the audience out there, please stay tuned and listen for one of our other podcasts where Scott and I discuss non-solicit agreements uh, regarding advisor transitions and, and things to watch out for. Thanks again, Scott. My pleasure.